Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Look at what it says here. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, male and his mate, and pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I've made I will blot out, or I will erase from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. There came a point where it was time for judgment. And God comes to Noah and he says to Noah, Noah, the earth is going to be judged. It will rain for 40 days, 40 nights. Everything will be wiped out. Everything will be erased. But you can be safe if you will come into the ark. Come in through that ark. Come into that door. Come into the atoning wood. Come in to the finished work of the cross. Come in to the finished work of Christ. Now, it's interesting because Noah's name, the root of his name in Hebrew means rest. His name literally means to rest or to be at rest or to be at peace. And the only way you're going to find rest in this life is if you come into the ark, is if you come to the cross. If you come to the atoning finished work of those wood beams, Jesus is our ark. Now, Noah being a form of rest, I want to encourage you with this this morning. Because for some of us in the room who've been walking with the Lord for some time now, we've traded our sin for religion. And what I mean by that is at one point in time, right, we were in the world, living like the world, doing what the world did, but then we came to understand that there was someone who gave their life for us. We surrendered our hearts to Jesus. We began to walk with the Lord in a way we didn't walk with the Lord before, but somewhere along the line, even that got perverted, and we started trying to earn our salvation. We became very religious, and we believe that our worth is based upon what we offer to God, that not based upon what God offered for us. Both are wrong. If you're here this morning and you have a Pharisee's heart, the attitude of a Pharisee, you need to repent. You also need to find rest. Rest is needed for both the sinner and the religious. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, it's light. The apostle Paul was a man who was trying to live a righteous life, trying to earn his way into God's presence. And in Philippians chapter 3, he comes to this point in his life and he says, look, I've done it all. I've, as far as like the Hebrew religion, the Hebrew culture, I performed it all. I did everything the, just the way I was supposed to do. But I came to this point in my life, and if, I want you to read this, it'll be on the screen. 
He says this in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. It's worthless. All that I used to live for, all of my past religious duties, all of those ways I tried to earn God's favor, it's trash. It's a heaping pile of trash, garbage. It's all rubbish so that I might gain Christ. Look at this. Verse 9, and be found in him, and be found in the ark, and be found at the foot of two beams of the cross, and be found in atoning woodwork. To be found in him, not having a righteousness which is my own, which comes from the law by keeping my rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like unto him in his death. None of the way I used to live matters anymore. All that matters now is that I've been found in him and in his righteousness. I've come into the safety and the security of the ark. I found my rest in the ark. Have you been working so hard like Paul? And you're spinning your wheels and you never feel good enough and you never feel like you've pleased God and you never feel like you're gonna overcome that sin and you never feel like you're gonna have a truly giving spirit, whatever the case may be, maybe you need to surrender that today. You need to come into the ark. You as a religious person need to come into the ark and find your rest and be found in him being found in Christ. See, he says, I have this righteousness now, which is not from the law. It's not something that I've earned. It's something that was given to me from Christ. This righteousness that I've been clothed in. I'm no longer trying to, remember in, in Genesis, that Adam and Eve, they tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. They tried to do it on their own. And God says, that's not enough. You're gonna have to be clothed with these animal skins. The blood is gonna have to be spilled to cover your sin, Right? And some of us are still trying to clothe ourselves in our own righteousness. But this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 61. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he's clothed me. He clothed me in the garments of salvation. He's covered me in robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself and a priest with a beautiful headdress. And a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He's clothed me with righteousness. He's given me the garments of salvation. I'm not trying to cover myself with fig leaves. I'm found in him. I've come into the ark. I'm in the shadow of the cross. Do you understand the type here that we have in the ark? That we need to all find ourselves making a movement away from the old way we used to live or maybe even the religion that we're currently living in? And we need to make our way to the safety and the security and the rest that is the ark, the rest that is the cross. So where we have the ark, which speaks of rest, our next type that we're going to look at is the type of Isaac. And Isaac also speaks of the cross. He's a type of the cross. And so where the ark spoke of rest, Isaac speaks of substitution. And I want you to write this down for the sake of time. We won't read the whole thing. But Genesis chapter 22, the first time that I read this after becoming a believer in Christ, my mind was blown. When I fully understood that, man, look, the Lord has been giving these hints all along that Jesus would come. And in Genesis chapter 22, you read the story of Abraham, the father of faith, 
taking his son, his son of promise, his son called Isaac. And he was called Isaac because way back when the Lord came to Abraham and to Sarah and said, I'm going to bless you with the son. And through this son, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. That Sarah overheard this. She was 90 years old and she begins to laugh. She says, there's no way I'm going to be pregnant. I'm 90 years old. And the Lord hears Sarah's laughter and she says, why are you laughing? Don't you believe I can do this? And Sarah denies it. Oh, I didn't laugh. And the Lord says, no, you did. I, you laughed. And so they name Isaac Laughter, the son of promise, the son that they've been waiting for. Sarah, 90 years old. Abraham, 100 years old when Isaac is born. And now the Lord comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And the scripture says that he wants to test Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of promise, Isaac. And I want you to take him and sacrifice him before me. And the scripture says that Abraham calls a couple of his servants and brings his son and he packs up for the three-day journey. And he takes with him wood for the kindling to be able to begin the altar, to have a sacrifice, a burnt offering offered up to the Lord. He takes with him the knife to slay the offering. He takes with him fire for the offering. And on the way up to the mountain, Isaac, he's pretty astute. He looks to his father. He says, hey, father, where's the offering? We have the wood. You've laid the wood on me. And Abraham literally had Isaac carried the wood up the mountain for the sacrifice, which again is a picture of the cross. Jesus carrying the cross, the son carrying the cross, right? So he says, I see, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the blade, but where is the offering? And Abraham looks into his son's eyes and he says, this is so profound and it's so encouraging. He says, God will provide for himself the offering, See, Abraham knew that God had promised that through Isaac, the nations of the world would be blessed. And he didn't understand how God was going to do it, but he understood God was going to do something miraculous. And either he was going to slay his son and his son would rise from the dead, or God was going to provide a different way. Abraham went in faith to offer up his son, Isaac. And so they get there and Isaac is bound and he's laying upon the altar with all of the wood there. And Isaac is there in absolute surrender to his father's will, Abraham's will. And Abraham raises the knife to slay his son. And just then uh, the voice from heaven says, stop. Now I know you love me. Now I know you love me. And Abraham looks over off into the distance, into the thickets, into the bushes. And there's a lamb, a ram that is caught by his horns in the bushes. And he brings that ram over and he slays that lamb. And that lamb becomes the substitute for Isaac. See, where the ark spoke of rest, this sacrifice of Isaac speaks of substitution. There's a biblical truth that we all have to come to grips with in our lives, and that's the fact that you and I are not fit to pay the price for our own sin. We are not pure. We don't have a pure life. We don't have a sinless life. And our sacrifice is not enough to purchase our salvation. We need a substitutionary atonement. We need someone to go to the cross in our place if we're going to be saved. And this is exactly what happens here on Mount Moriah. Abraham raises the knife, stop. Off into the distance, there's a substitute, one that will take the place of your son. So they slay the animal, and this place becomes known as Jehovah Jireh, which means, can be translated, God himself 
will provide. And we, we use this phrase all the time when we talk about needs and, you know, I have a financial need or I have a need in, you know, some sort of area of my life. But really this was referring to God providing salvation, God providing an atoning sacrifice. That's what God wanted to provide. So this is a type we see of the cross and that there was a lamb that was provided in its place. All throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament, God has been giving us these hints that he was going to provide his son. He didn't require Abraham to follow through with it, but this was a foreshadowing, a type that God is going to come and he's going to provide his son as a substitute so we don't have to sacrifice ourselves. He will provide that sacrifice. The quintessential Christmas verses. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God will come to you. Look at this verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There's another son, a child that's going to come, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his increase and of his government there shall be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The seal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. God's going to send a son. He's going to send a child. He's going to send his son to be the substitution that you need. Jesus himself became that substitute. Jesus himself is the ram that was caught in the thickets. His life for mine. His life for yours. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. He bore our sins on the cross. He took our sins. He was our substitute. He went for us. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He traded places with you. He was rich, we were poor. He took our poorness, he took our poverty, and he gave us his richness, a substitute. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. There's that substitution, the righteous for the unrighteous. I'm the unrighteous. He is the righteous. He went in my place. He's my substitute. He's the ram caught in the thickets. He's the fulfillment of this picture of the story of Genesis chapter 22. Two last verses here, and then we'll move on. Romans chapter 5 says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a substitution. Jesus died in my place. He took my place upon that cross, upon that atoning wood. Last verse here, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin, and I became righteous. He became my substitute. This is what Jesus did for you. So we have this type. We see the ark is a type of the cross. We see that Isaac is a type of the cross. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to see how Passover is a type of the cross. 
You can read the story of Passover in Exodus chapter 12, but let me set the scene for you a little bit about what's going on here. The children of Israel have been for over 400 years, they've been slaves to Egypt, baking bricks in the hot Egyptian sun, day in and day out, no hope. All they have hope in the next day is that there's going to be more labor, more slave labor, more difficulty, more hardship, more heartbreak, more calloused hands, more blistered feet. That's their life for 400 years, over 400 years. And in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses and he says to Moses this, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I don't know if any of you need to hear that this morning. God was intimately acquainted with the hardship and the suffering of his people. He was listening he knew what was going on. And this morning, if you're in a place of hardship or suffering or heartbreak, maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe that word is for you, that God is listening and he's attentive and he knows. And you're going to see here that because he knows, he's going to act on behalf of his people. Listen to this. Surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them, to save them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and with honey to a place where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me and I've seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm gonna send you to deliver my people. Moses is a type of Jesus. Moses was sent by God to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is a type of the flesh. Egypt is a type of sin. And God hears the cries of his people. And what does he do? He acts. He raises up Moses. He comes to Moses and he says, Moses, my people are suffering. And I want to send you as deliverer to save my people from the Egyptians. Jesus is the actual fulfillment of the type of Moses. You see this? What does it say here in Matthew chapter 1? At the announcement of the conception of Christ, it says this, but as he considered these things, being Joseph, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. He will be like Moses, who delivers the people from Egypt. Jesus will save the people from their sins. Jesus, the fulfillment of the type of Moses. But Jesus is also a fulfillment of the type of the Passover lamb that you can read about in Exodus chapter 12. Write that down, Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to paraphrase it just for the sake of time today. But if you read the story of the Exodus from, you know, Exodus chapter 3 and you read through Exodus chapter 12, you'll read about the 10 plagues and how God sent a plague. And with each plague, the purpose of that was to convince Pharaoh to release the Israelites, to let them free from their bondage and their slavery, to set them free. Over and over and over again, Pharaoh's heart becomes hard and hardened and hardened and hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Finally, the 10th plague 
is the plague of the death of the firstborn. And what Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, unless you release us on this night, the firstborn and all of the houses all throughout the kingdom of Egypt will suffer and will die. The firstborn in every house will die unless you release us and let us go. Again, Pharaoh's heart hardened. This is not going to happen. But there was a remedy. And the remedy was to apply the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost in each believing home. The Hebrews would take the blood of a lamb. They would put it on the lentils of their door, on the threshold of their door in the form of a cross. The blood would be put there in the form of a cross. And when the angel of death went throughout the kingdom of Egypt that night, when he came to a door and he found upon that door the blood of the Passover lamb, the angel of death would pass over that home and no one would die in that home. In the morning, the Egyptians awoke to find that God's, the angel of death did indeed go through the land and that the firstborn was slain in every home where the blood was not applied. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. You remember what John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus approaching from a distance, coming to the Jordan waters to be baptized. John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here he is, this lamb that has been promised to us. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says that it's not fitting for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That those sacrifices that happen every year, year after year, they're just a reminder of sin. But when Jesus went and he offered himself once and for all, he perfected forever those who are trusting in him. That his finished work, that his blood being spilt, that when you apply his blood on the doorposts of your heart, that you are made perfect in the eyes of God. The perfect picture of this Passover lamb is Jesus himself. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed, you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or without blemish. Jesus, the Passover lamb, giving his life for you and for me. When we celebrate, communion as believers. You realize the Last Supper was a Passover celebration. Jesus and his disciples had gathered in a room together, and they were remembering what had happened at Passover and the deliverance that God brought through Moses and the angel of death. They were remembering that. It was a celebration that they were delivered from their bondage, from their slavery, and from the world. They were delivered from that. They were celebrating this. Jesus, at this meal, at this Passover Seder dinner, he says something incredible. He says, now, what I want you to understand is for all of these generations that we as a people have been celebrating this Passover meal, all of this was pointing to me it was a type. It was foreshadowing what's happening right now. And then he says this. He takes the bread and he says, here, here's the bread. And he breaks it. He says, this is my body, which is for you. And then he takes the cup. And he says, this cup is a promise, a new covenant, a new promise in my blood. And as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you remember me and what I did. Just as that Passover meal remembered Passover years ago with Moses, now communion celebrates and reminds the believer 
of our deliverance that we have in Jesus, our Passover lamb. So there are these types that God has given us all throughout the scripture. This last type, this type of the Passover lamb, it's an indicator. It shows us that God is the one who rescues and delivers. Just like God raised up Moses, God brought Jesus to rescue and to deliver you. You put all of these pictures together and you have in the ark, you have a picture of rest. You have in Isaac a picture of substitution. You have in the Passover lamb a picture of deliverance and rescue. This is what the cross has done for us. This is what the cross has done for me. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.